that's not where he begins. In fact, I think Paul's quite strategic here. He starts with the resurrection of Jesus, which I believe is something they all agreed about. So he's really starting with common ground. They're unanimous. Christ was raised. But he defends that pretty strenuously, so there's no erosion on that point. And then what he's going to do is, from the resurrection of Jesus, teach that there would be a resurrection of all men at the end of the age. That, that's where he's going. But he doesn't really even give a signal of that at first. And sometimes that's helpful. If you can start with common ground, and even if people don't know where you're going, then they agree with you, they understand the principle, then you say, okay, now let's see how this affects this other teaching. So, he's going to ultimately say that Jesus' resurrection implies their resurrection. Chapter 15, when somebody read verses 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Okay. So he makes known the gospel. Something they should have already known. Is this an implied criticism that he needs to teach them again? But at any rate, he talks about the gospel past, present, and future in some senses. In the past he preached it and they received it. Currently they stand in it. And in the future they will be saved by it if they hold fast the word which was preached. Unless you believe in faith. There is a danger they could be led astray and disbelieve. He has a misgivings. But, but if they'll hold back, then they will be, be saved by it. So here's the gospel, kind of like the kernel of the gospel, the, the main points of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. Now, you may think, well, I mean, that's not really that important, is it? I mean, that he died, yes, and he buried. But his burial points to the reality of his death. You know, when you mention Jesus' burial, and you reflect on that, it makes his death maybe more vivid. So I think that is a, an important point, that we reflect on his burial. Then he was raised uh, on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now that's a bit of a challenge for us in the according to the scriptures part. Is there a scripture that says he'd be raised on the third day? Maybe Hosea 6, maybe Jonah, and the parallel, he was buried at sea and Jesus was buried in the earth. Or maybe he's just saying that the scriptures teach he would be raised. I'm not sure. Um, 
But at any rate, then he appeared. Now, you know, the appearial, the, the appearance is to the uh, resurrection, just as the burial is to the death. The appearances reinforce the fact that he was raised. They point to his reality. If there's any doubts among the Corinthians, the appearances give historical witnesses that, that you know, make Jesus' resurrection a historical fact. I mean, if you want to uh, confirm anything that has happened, eyewitness testimony is as good as there is. I mean, maybe if you had to film or something, but that can be done. You really want eyewitnesses in a court of law. Eyewitnesses confirm various things. And if you've got enough witnesses to, you know, somebody shooting up McDonald's or whatever, they're probably going to be convicted. If the eyewitness testimony is, is valid, it's actually how we know everything historical just about. Uh, you know, how do you know that, uh, you know, Columbus discovered America or whatever? Well, the, the records of people who were witnesses and then the historical accounts based upon that and so forth. So he appeared, and he kind of makes a tally of the resurrection appearances. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. They were probably just 11, and really actually probably 10 of the 11 at that point, but they're called the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at once, which, uh, you know, you might think, well, if he just appeared to one or another, maybe he was like hallucinating. But mass hallucinations are not likely. You know, more than 500 at once, wow, that's uh, pretty impressive. And a lot of them are still alive, I mean, they could be questioned by the Corinthians. You know, can you imagine a shooting that was witnessed by 500 people? They wouldn't even try to call 500 witnesses. I mean, a small number of witnesses is plenty sufficient to prove something. Um, so this is a well-attested historical fact. And then he appeared to James, I think Jesus' brother, maybe that's why he was converted. Then to all the apostles. Now, that I think is an implication. Thomas wasn't there the first time he appeared to the twelve. Then, then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, this kind of comes to a list. Now, this is not a total list. There's clearly others Jesus appeared to, but this is adequate for Paul's, Paul's purpose. But last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, I think when he says last of all, it is an indication that there would be no other appearance of Jesus to someone in this same kind of uh, sense. And so he opened with his appearance to Cephas, apostle to the Jews, closes with his appearance to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's kind of interesting. He's one untimely born. I mean, Paul, wow, he was the exceptional apostle. In every sense, he was a persecutor of the church, and he was way after the era of the appearances and so forth. But by God's grace, God turned him inside out. I mean, he was unworthy, he was unfit, he was a persecutor, but he came to work harder than all of them, which was a continuing evidence of the grace of God that had transformed Paul in such an amazing way. So he says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so you believe. As far as denying the resurrection is concerned, if they do not do that, they're against not just Paul, but all of the apostles. They're out of step. Paul is emphasizing they all 
preach and receive these basic truths. Now Paul has set himself up then really well. He's going to use the resurrection of Christ to prove that the dead are raised. So, first of all, in kind of a non-controversial way, he proves Jesus was raised. That's, you know, the first thing. Comments or questions? Wait. Hallucinations are just not massive events. You know, they're kind of individualized. And so to appear at 500 once and they all 500 happen to have the same hallucination at the same time would be quite a feat. It's got a Well, we don't think Judas was around. So that would make 11. Well, I'm saying when he was appeared. I'm talking about the first appearance in John chapter 20. Yeah, but later, not not at that point. I mean, Matthias was appointed after Jesus already ascended in Acts chapter 1. Christ is not risen. 
stack a group of dominoes up. Then you flick the first one. You see them all start to fall. Forget what he's doing right here. He says if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Like, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised. I mean, you know, by definition, if resurrections can't happen, then Jesus can't have been raised. Now, I don't think the anti-resurrection teachers were really teaching against Jesus' resurrection. I don't think they were, but, but on the other hand, they were determined there was no resurrection. So Paul is showing their logical fallacy and anticipating they may shift to say, okay, then Jesus wasn't right. Well, think about that. Now the other thing is, Jesus' resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all disciples. So it's really important that he establish Jesus was raised absolutely. He says if you thought about what it would mean if there was no resurrection and not even Jesus had been raised. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. Those are his two points. If Christ has, been free, has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. And this is just a very devastating picture. I mean, the resurrection is the foundation of our preaching and our faith and our hope. If, 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 if there's no resurrection, but the gospel is just some inspiring story of a wise teacher who suffered heroically. If Christ isn't raised, then everything that's based upon our faith is just kind of a broken dream. You know, kind of like, uh, you know, sawing off the branch you're sitting on. You know, if Christ hasn't been raised, we are in big trouble. And so Paul says, you know, how do some of you, some among you say there's no resurrection? That's so Paul. Some of you. Paul rarely dignifies false teachers by mentioning their name. Remember Paul Harvey, some of you older people will, who, who would tell some outrageous stunt, some got it done. And he'd say, and he would like for me to mention his name. Then he'd move on to the next story. <laughs> you know, uh, Paul's not going to even, or, uh, uh, Paul's not going to even mention their name. Some. Uh, but that's not possible. He said, if, if, if we're about to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ and we did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. He says, well, the first thing to fall will be the content of the gospel, and then the second thing will be your faith in the gospel. Because if the message is a hoax, then we might as well give it up. He says, we accuse God of something He didn't do. If we say raise Jesus and there is no resurrection, that would be libelous. That would be bearing false witness, saying God did something he didn't do. I mean, that's a serious matter. This is not just, oh, well, maybe just one right. Hey, if he wasn't right, then we've been accusing God of things that we shouldn't be accusing. And your faith is vain. He keeps hammering. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. You can't say the dead aren't raised, but Christ was. If Christ was, then you can't say the dead aren't raised. He was dead. He was raised. There you have it. That annihilates the idea that dead aren't raised. You might argue, well, some dead aren't raised, but you can't argue there is no such thing as resurrection if Jesus was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins, those who died in Christ have perished, and we're just 
hopeless, miserable people. You know, if the facts are untrue, then the, the effects are untrue. It's just a mirage. It's empty. There's nothing to base our faith on. Just a decomposing corpse of a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi. That's all we have. You can't go there. Jesus' resurrection is fundamental for the gospel. In every way. I mean, our faith is more than anything based on the, on the resurrection. Look at the book of Acts. What was the theme of the preaching? I read something one time. You've probably seen this. Mohammed's tomb occupied. Buddha's tomb occupied. Confucius' tomb occupied. Jesus' tomb empty. That is why we're Christians. And so there is no way that we can say Jesus was great. Besides the fact the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, I don't mean this to be self-serving, but this might be encouraging. When I was in Florida College, um, I participated in interscholastic speech tournaments against two and four-year schools and so forth. They had a pretty good speech program and competed against a lot of major schools. And uh, you have different events. One of the events was uh, a category called Persuasive. You wrote a persuasive speech and memorized it, delivered it. And normally it was like persuading people of some political view or social thing or whatever. I did a persuasive speech that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. And uh, one of the coaches, the, the co other coaches judge you around, but they don't know where you're from. You know, you're not supposed to identify that, so they can judge impartially. And one of the other coaches happened to mention to our coach, he said, I never thought I'd give a first place to a speech about Jesus. <laughs> but the evidence is incredibly strong. That speech did really well. Because, wow, it's hard to deny the evidence for the resurrection. Even if you don't believe the Bible. We didn't, I didn't try to prove it from the Bible, per se. But just the historical evidence is very strong. So Jesus was raised, and that's fundamental for our preaching and our faith. And if he was raised, at least you can't say resurrection can't happen. Thoughts and comments. Yes. <laughs> Good question. Why were people teaching there's no resurrection? Uh, we're eventually going to come around to why do we teach there's no resurrection? I suspect they were affected by Greek philosophy. That's what I suspect. Corinth was in Achaia, Greece. And the Greek philosophers thought that the body was, I, I'm not very good with philosophy, so somebody who knows something can correct me, but essentially that the body was an evil, material thing, and that we were longing to get rid of our bodies so our spirit could be reunited with what was really authentic. And uh, so, so they didn't like the idea of raising the body. The body was a bad thing. So they didn't think in terms of the resurrection. I think for the Greek philosophy, Greek mindset, resurrection is kind of, uh, you know, Horrendous. Somebody want to explain Greek philosophy better than that? I thought it pretty distracting the Gnostic doctrine. Is that the one that we're discussing? I think the Gnostics would have had similar views to the Greeks. The, the reason that that was appealing to them was the idea that since the body is this evil thing, you do not need to feel the necessity to restrain your physical actions. So that would have led to the sexual immorality and also to some of the other things we saw in Corinthians where they thought, as long as I keep my 
good, good point. Yeah, I agree. I think that is a Gnostic view. Maybe someone agree with you with that as well. It's kind of a similar thing. Sorry, you want to make an intelligent comment about this? Go. Yeah, yeah, good point. And that's the end. That's just right up the road from Corinth and Athens. Somebody else have a hand up.
there are people who would argue that you couldn't cremate or whatever. I don't think that matters. I don't think God's going to have a hard time raising our bodies. If he created them at the beginning from the dust, I assume he can figure that out. I mean, we're going to decompose anyway. So, God will raise it up. You know, he'll figure that out. All right, we're, burned, we're lost at sea or we're burned in a you know, wreck or whatever. Praise God. That's wonderful. Amen. And 
He's been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Jesus' resurrection is the first installment of the whole resurrection. It's a pledge of the full harvest. When you got the first fruits, it's an indication that God's going to give you the rest of the harvest. So Jesus was raised as the first fruits. That means we will be raised as the second fruits, or whatever you want to call that. And uh, he says, for as is by a man uh, came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. Man brought death. Jesus brought the countercurrent, the life. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Adam was the source of death for all men. Christ is the source of life. He will counteract, he will undo the effect of Adam's sin. But it's, it's in an orderly fashion. He really goes through the entire panorama here. So you've got Christ the firstfruits. Then those that are Christ at his coming. That's when the end comes. When Jesus hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he's abolished all rule and all authority and power. So Jesus hands the reins of government back to God. After he's conquered all enemies. Now, he has to reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. So Jesus is currently reigning with a goal of conquering all of his enemies. When he conquers all of his enemies, he gives the, the power and, and governing authority back to the Father. Now the last enemy that he will conquer is death. How does Jesus conquer death? Raising all men from the dead. So when he comes back and he raises men from the dead, that's conquering his last enemy, that's when he gives the dominion back to the Father. And the Father rules over all. Now if there is no resurrection, the last enemy is not destroyed. If the last enemy is not destroyed, then the Lord's rule is not yet supreme, and the Father is not ruling all over all. The Son's mission is to reclaim God's sovereignty. Because of man's rebellion, death and sin entered into the world. But, but Jesus' mission was to retrieve what Adam lost. This final rupture in the universe is healed, and God alone rules. You deny the resurrection, and you thwart God's entire plan for the universe. You have to have the resurrection. Death is the last enemy. Death must be defeated. The way you defeat death is by raising men from the dead. If there's no resurrection, death still reigns. The last enemy is still, still unconquered. And therefore, if there is no resurrection, God's plan will never be culminated. What God was going for will never happen. You deny the resurrection and you deny everything. So the steps are Jesus is raised. Then there's the general resurrection, which defeats the last enemy, death. Then the reins of government are turned back to the Father, and the Father reigns supreme. That's that's the uh, argument. Uh, so, that's a really key passage. That is why the resurrection has to happen. 
That is why denying the resurrection is not, well, you know, it's a little misunderstanding. That's the whole purpose of God. There will be a resurrection when Jesus returns and he will conquer death, his last enemy, and let God reign over the world. Jason. Those were not his ideals. It wasn't his preference. But he allowed that. 
and he allowed Satan to dominate the world. Um, it's not that God couldn't have taken that back. He chose not to. And so I don't think, I, well, I would put it this way. Jesus will conquer the last enemy. You know, this is not like we'll wait and see. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. He will. This is God's purpose. That will be done. But it's done in an orderly way. I just think that, you know, God giving man free will, God sets some limits on the exercise of his power. That, that somebody else may have a much better explanation than I do. That, that's clear in my head. It doesn't sound very clear. I don't know. I don't understand much about this, the time things. I am not a philosopher. I don't think very deeply. So other people probably explain that or have a view about that. I don't know. But could you comment about when it says he delivered up the kingdom to God? What exactly is he referring to? The kingdom means the rule, the reign, the government, the dominion. It means he turns the kingly rule and power back over the Father. Yes, Jake. Under his feet, 
is initially talking about man and then Jesus recovering that from man that everything is in subjection. His point here in 1 Corinthians is that doesn't mean God. You know, obviously God didn't put all things in subjection, including himself. God still is over Jesus and the rule will be given back to him. So I think that that he is seeing Jesus as the one who fulfills man's created destiny. Yes. Well, the last one's death, uh, you know, sin, rebellion, things like that.